if you guys have been here the past couple weeks, um, you know we're preaching on the same passage four times in a row. So I am now the third person um, to preach on this passage. And, and Jay Lee and Katie did a really great job the past couple weeks. And you know, after listening to them, I kind of felt like, what, what is there left to say? They've, they've really covered a lot of it. Um, but the nice thing of being the third person to this passage, I feel like there's a little bit less pressure. You know, they've built a, a great foundation, and, and today we just get to build on some of those concepts a little bit more. And I think it's actually really appropriate that we're kind of doing this style of, of sitting with the same passage throughout four weeks, having different people teach on it. Because the way that First John is written, it's really written in like this cyclical way, where there's these different themes that keep coming up. Of, of light and love and truth and obedience. And, and it's not talked about in this linear way, but it's this circular way where it continues to build on each other, continues to give more nuance to those ideas. And so we're getting to, to experience that a little bit as we dive into this text, hearing four different people teach on it uh, throughout the series. And I was really excited to, to be able to, to have a chance to teach on First John because First John has been really foundational for me. Um, especially as, as I kind of started to go through my own process of, of deconstructing my faith. Um, First John was, was a, a part of the Bible that I continue to come back to. For me, kind of that deconstruction um, started in, in 2016 as we were in the midst of that ridiculous election cycle, um, seeing the, the divisions in our country, seeing the divisions in the church, and it really um, caused me to become disillusioned um, and discouraged by, by not only the division that I was seeing, but also the, the hateful rhetoric that was being spewed um, and upheld by people who claimed to follow Jesus. During this season, I really felt like I was starting to lose a little bit of hope in the church and in what it meant to be unified as the body of Christ. And I started asking um, questions. I was just, how did we get here? How is it that, that people that I grew up going to church with, that people in, in my extended family, that, that we were taught the same Bible stories and we have ended up at these very different places. We have very different ideas of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus and live out our faith. And I just came to this conclusion, there has to be more to salvation and following Jesus than just agreeing to a statement or saying a prayer. Because if that is not leading us to actually look like Jesus, represent Jesus to the world around us, then what's the point? So during the season, I questioned a lot, but I never walked away from God or from the Bible. In fact, I feel like that season in asking those questions, wrestling with, with some doubts, it actually led me to go deeper with God and deeper into scripture to really try to reconcile what I had been taught with what I saw in Jesus and what that means for us. And so in the midst of this, in the midst of all the questions, I felt like there were two pillars that I was kind of able to hold on to. And those were Jesus and love. And those might sound pretty obvious, you know, might sound pretty churchy. Um, but I think... I think that even as, you know, growing up in the church, we might hear a lot about Jesus and love. It's so easy to take our focus off those things and, and to make our faith more about a list of rules to follow or a list of statements that we agree to. 
And so I think it's important to keep coming back to these two pillars. As we wrestle with scripture, as we work out what we believe, and how we're called to live as a result of those beliefs. And so we are going to read through 1 John 2, 1 through 17 again. And, and as we do, I want you to kind of pay attention to, to those two pillars. What is being said about, about love and about Jesus? We're going to be, I'm going to read from the First Nations version, um, which is an indigenous translation of the New Testament. Um, I just recently picked this up, and I've, I've really loved going through it because in reading just, you know, the same scriptures that I've read over and over again, it just kind of gives a different nuance and a different, shows it in a different light. And so as we are now in the third week of this passage, um, I thought it would be appropriate to, to share it from this different um, version and, and maybe that that would help to kind of open our eyes to some new things as we read through it again. Um, one note, as, um, as I said, to pay attention to what it's saying about Jesus. In this version, Jesus is called Creator Sets Free. And he's also referred to as the chosen one. My much-loved children, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not walk a path of broken ways. But if anyone does, we have one who represents us before our Father, the Great Spirit. He is creator sets free, Jesus, the chosen one, who has always done what is right. He paid a great price to set us free from our bad hearts and broken ways. Not only for us, but for all people. We can be sure that we truly know him if we follow the teachings of the chosen one. The ones who say, I know the great spirit, yet do not follow his teachings are lying, and the truth does not live in them. But for those who walk in his message, creator's love has found its true meaning and purpose. The ones who say they are in harmony with the great spirit must walk in the footsteps of creator sets free. This is how we know we are living in harmony with him. My much-loved friends, I'm not giving you a new teaching, but an old one, the same one you were given at first. The old teaching is the message you have heard. On the other hand, I am giving you a new teaching. Its truth is found in Creator Sets Free and also in you. For the darkness is fading and the true light is already shining. Anyone who says, I walk in the light, but hates another is still walking in darkness. Anyone who loves others is walking in the light and has no reason to trip or fall. But anyone who hates others is in darkness and walks in darkness. Such ones have lost their way because the darkness has blinded their eyes. I write to you children because you've been released from your broken ways through the name of Creator Sets Free. I write to you elders because you have known the one who was there from the beginning. I write to you young ones because you have won the victory over the evil trickster. I have written to you children because you have known the Father, who is the Great Spirit. I have written to you elders because you have known Creator Sets Free, the one who was there from the beginning. I have written to you young ones because you are strong, with Creator's message firmly planted in your hearts, and you have won the victory over the evil trickster. Do not love the ways of this world, nor the things you can get from the world. When you love the world, it shows that the love of our Father, the Great Spirit, is not alive in you. For all the things found in the world, desiring to walk in broken ways, longing to have everything you see, thinking you are better and more deserving than others, these things are not from our Father, the Great Spirit, but from the world. The world is coming to an end, along with all its broken spires. But the ones who walk in the way of the Great Spirit will remain to the time beyond the end of all days. 
we see in this passage, um, something that, that we see all throughout First John is, as I mentioned earlier, that there's really like this cyclical thinking um, that's going on. And we see a lot of parallelism where, where there's different statements kind of using different words, but, but really trying to show um, the same idea, just with a different nuance. Um, so we see that especially in verses 12 through 14, where, where these, there's these statements of, I, I write to you children, I write to you elders, I write to you young ones. And there's some repetition there. And it could be easy for us to kind of look at that and, and see it as, as these separate statements and even see it as delineations of like, okay, this is what he's saying to the young ones. This is what he's saying to the elders. But I think that really in the midst of that and the, and the way that he's, he's saying it, it's really trying to make it all inclusive, right? He's trying to encourage um, this church, this body of believers that he's writing to, all of them, the, the children, the young ones, the elders. He's including all of them in that, trying to affirm affirm and encourage them that they do, they know God, that they've been living out uh, what God has called them to. And we also see um, the, the parallelism in, in these two different statements that he says, that there's going to be people that come and say, I know the great spirit, as it says in verse 4, and there's going to be people that come and say, I walk in the light. And those two ideas, of knowing the great spirit and walking in the light, those are, are kind of two different ways to say the same thing. He, he tells us that saying, I know the great spirit means to follow the teachings of the chosen one. I walk in the light means to love others. And so in, in the midst of, of this letter um, to this church, um, there was something, something going on in this church where there was a lot of division happening. Um, and part of that was coming from, there were people that had come out of this church that were saying that they didn't believe that Jesus had actually come in the flesh. And so we see throughout First John, he's addressing that a lot. Like Jesus came in the flesh. Um, but the kind of the reason for this, there was like this cultural idea of this kind of separation of the flesh and the spirit. And the idea that the flesh is bad, it's evil, the spirit is good. And so in believing that, they thought there's no way that Jesus came in the flesh if the flesh is bad. And where this led them to was that they've, they felt like it was important to kind of have this spiritual knowledge, know these spiritual truths, that's what's going to save you. But what they did with their bodies, the way that they lived, didn't have much meaning because that was all just going away anyway. But what John is trying to tell them here is that to actually know the great spirit and to walk in the light is not just about having the spiritual knowledge, but that our, our spiritual knowledge is supposed to influence the ways that we live out our lives. And so he's kind of giving them, in, in having these two, two different statements, um, if you kind of put it all together, it looks like knowing God or the great spirit is walking in the light, which is following the teachings of Jesus or creator sets free, which is loving others. All of those are different ways to kind of say the same thing. And so this leads to these two pillars of Jesus and love. And I want to break this down a little bit more. Um, so we see in verses 3 through 6, it says, We can be sure that we truly know him if we follow the teachings of the chosen one. The ones who say, I know the great spirit, yet do not follow his teachings are lying, and the truth does not live in them. But for those who walk in his message, creator's love has found its true meaning and purpose. The ones who say they are in harmony with the great spirit must walk in the footsteps of creator sets free. This is how we know we are living in harmony with him. 
John is telling them here to know the Great Spirit is not just about this head knowledge, but it's actually about following the teachings of the Chosen One, walking in the footsteps of Creator sets free. To truly know God is to know Jesus, to look at how he lived, to be formed by Jesus, and to live in the same way. We see in other parts of the New Testament um, where, it, where it supports this idea. In Hebrews 1.3, where it says, What is true about great spirit is true about the Son, for he represents the Creator in every way. In John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen the great spirit, but the one Son, who is himself the great spirit and closest to the Father's heart, has shown us what he is like. Jesus came not just to die, but also to reveal to us who God is and how God wants us to live. And if we really believe that Jesus shows us who God is, it should naturally follow that we look at Jesus to understand how we are called to live. Because belief in Jesus is much more than just saying we believe Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for us. Belief means nothing if we do not live according to it. In James 2, it tells us that faith without deeds is dead. In verses 14 to 20 of James 2, it says, What good is it, my sacred family members, if a man says, I have faith but have no deeds to show for it? Can that kind of faith set him free and make him whole? If a family member or any human being has no clothes to wear or no food to eat, and you say, go in peace, stay warm and eat well, but fail to give what is needed, what good have you done? In the same way, without deeds, faith by itself is dead. But someone will say, faith is what is needed, while another says, good deeds are what is needed. I say that both are needed. You show me your faith without good deeds, and I will show you my faith by the deeds I have done. You believe there is only one great spirit. Good, but evil spirits also believe and tremble with fear. Are you the kind of shallow person who needs to be shown over and over again that faith without good deeds has no worth? The way that we live our lives matters. And if the way that we are living doesn't look like Jesus, we need to spend some time seriously contemplating if we really believe what we say we do. And when we look at Jesus, what we're going to see is love, which leads us to that second pillar. In verses 9 through 11, it says, Anyone who says, I walk in the light, but hates another is still walking in darkness. Anyone who loves others is walking in the light and has no reason to trip or fall. But anyone who hates others is in darkness and walks in darkness. Such ones have lost their way because the darkness has blinded their eyes. You know, we can argue all we want over, over theology and what the Bible says about X, Y, and Z. But if we don't love others, we're not following in the wake of Jesus. We see this teaching all throughout the New Testament. In 1 John 4.16, it says, The great spirit is love. He remains in those who love and keep on loving, and they remain in him. In John 13.34-35, we see this new old command that Katie talked about last week. I am giving you a new road to walk, Jesus said. In the same way I have loved you, you are to love each other. This kind of love will be the sign for all people that you are walking the road with me. In Matthew 22, 37 to 40, when someone comes to Jesus and asks him, what is the most important instruction? And creator sets free, answered him, you must love the great spirit from deep within, with the strength of your arms, the thoughts of your mind, and the courage of your heart. 
This is the first and greatest instruction. The second is like the first he added. You must love your fellow human beings in the same way you love yourselves. The law and the words of the prophets all find their full meaning in these two instructions. That's huge. The all of scripture is wrapped up in that, right? Love God and love others. In Romans 13, 9-10, it says there are many instructions in the law, such as do not be unfaithful in marriage, do not kill a fellow human being, do not take what is not yours, and do not long for what belongs to another. All of these things and any other instructions there might be all come together in this one saying, love your fellow human beings in the same way you love yourself. Love does no harm to another, so loving others fulfills the purpose of the law. One thing that stands out to me in that passage is this idea of love does no harm. So if we want to understand what love is, we have to be willing to listen and learn when people tell us how they've been hurt, especially when we're the ones who have caused the harm. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, this is the beginning of the passage, that famous love passage that Katie read to us last week. It says, I may have the gift of speaking in both the languages of human beings and of spirit messengers, but if I fail to love, my words become like the screech of a cat or the yelping of a wild dog. I may have prophetic powers and the ability to see into sacred mysteries and understand all things. I may even have faith strong enough to, move, to make mountains move, but if I fail to love, I am nothing. I may give all my possessions to the poor and give my body to be burned as a sacrifice, but if I fail to love, I have gained no honor. We can have all the right, the right theology, the right beliefs. We might have all the knowledge. Um, and we, it's, it's interesting, too, that we might even go through the actions of giving what we have to those in need. But if we don't have love, none of that matters. In so many ways, over and over again, the Bible is telling us that love is the point of it all. But I think that sometimes we have a hard time believing that. Maybe it just seems too simple. <laughs> Maybe it seems too hard, too complex. And maybe, maybe it's just because we have a hard time of truly believing that we are loved, just as we are from the beginning before we ever did a thing. And that's what I love about in, in 1 John, we hear this phrase, much loved friends, over and over again. John is reminding them who they are throughout this letter. You are much loved. And this is crucial. Because we love because he first loved us. In 1 John 4, 10 through 11, it says, This is love, not that we loved creator, but that he loved us and proved his love by sending his son to take on himself the burden of our broken ways. My much-loved friends, if creator loved us like that, then we should also love each other. If we are trying to love by our own power and will, it will not last. We will burn out. We will become bitter and cynical when others hurt us. We will love, use love to manipulate. And we will always be chasing after them. I know this to be true because I've been there. <laughs> and if I'm honest in some ways, I'm still there. So we must start with being loved by God. And I think that this is one of the reasons why we have Sabbath, why God gave us that command to rest. You know, that command that we in our Western capitalistic culture often ignore. <laughs> because Sabbath invites us into God's presence. It invites us to receive from God, to recognize that we can't do it on our own. 
Sabbath invites us into God's lives so that we can be made whole. And then it's from that place that we live out following Jesus and loving others. When we start with being loved by God, we stop chasing after love and instead move from a foundation of love. And that gives us the longevity to keep moving forward, to love even our enemies, because we don't need their love to prove our worth. And we don't need to prove our worthiness to them. When we know that we are loved, that helps to make us complete. That gives us the capacity to keep loving or even just to shake the dust from our feet and move on without tearing others down and causing harm. And this way of love is not easy. We will get hurt sometimes and we will feel the pain because we're human. But those moments will drive us back into God's presence to receive his love and comfort and mercy. In verse 14 of our passage, it says, I have written to you, young ones, because you are strong with the creator's message, firmly planted in your hearts, and you have won the victory over the evil trickster. When we know that we are loved, when that message is firmly planted in our hearts, we become strong. And we win victory over the evil trickster who comes to steal and kill and destroy. That evil trickster wants to make us believe that we are unworthy and unloved. Because he knows that that will cause us to grasp for the things of the world. The broken ways, the longing to have everything we see, thinking we're better than others. All of that happens when we don't truly believe that we are loved by the one who created everything and who gave his very life for us. If we don't believe that we are loved, we will grasp for those things and we will tear each other apart and walk all over one another as we do it. Love is not some whimsical idea, but love is fierce and strong and it has the power to transform us and the world around us. Now last week as we read through, as Katie read through uh, 1 Corinthians 13, we heard some of the characteristics of love. Um, but I also love this, this definition of love that comes from Bishop Michael Curry in his book, Love is the Way. He says, love is a commitment to seek the good and to work for the good and welfare of others. Love is a commitment to keep learning and refining because the good and welfare of one person might look different than the good and welfare of another person. When Jesus encountered people throughout his life on earth, the things that he called people to looked different depending on who he was talking to. For the rich young ruler, love looked like giving all his possessions to those who had none. That was showing love to those in need, and it was, would also allow the rich young ruler to receive love because Jesus knew that his possessions were a barrier to that. For the hungry crowds that were listening to Jesus teach, love looked like feeding them, not just spiritually, but literally feeding them. For the woman accused of adultery, love looked like mercy and reminding her of her worth. For the bad-hearted spiritual leaders, as they're called in the First Nations version, love looked like calling out the harm that they had done to others. Love is not always going to look the same in every situation, which is part of what makes it so complicated and so complex. But love requires discernment. And this can feel scary because it's not so black and white. 
I think that maybe one reason why many of us who are really trying to follow Jesus so often struggle with the idea that love is what it's all about. I think this is why we argue over translation and interpretation and what the Bible actually says about a topic. And it is important, it's so important to wrestle with scripture and try to understand what what is being communicated. How are we supposed to live? It's important to have convictions. But the Bible doesn't always provide us clear rules and boundaries, but I think we often want it to. Those clear rules and boundaries seem safer than discernment. I know that as I started my deconstruction process, I felt a lot of fear because I didn't want to get it wrong. I wondered that if I started to believe the wrong thing, if that meant that I was going to go to hell. (laughs) And this is part of what led me into 1 John. And in 1 John 4.18, I came across this verse. Where love is, there can be no fear. For mature love drives all fear away. Fear comes from the thoughts of punishment. So love has not yet matured in those who continue to be afraid. My fear had to do with punishment. But if I really believe the Bible when it says that God is love, I don't need to fear punishment. If I am seeking to follow Jesus, if I am seeking to love and be loved, I don't need to fear punishment. And I'm not always going to get it right. And that can feel scary and hard. I'm not going to love perfectly. But as it says in 1 John 4.12, as long as we love each other, he remains in us and his love is made complete in us. If we are seeking to love and be loved, we will learn and grow and be made complete in God's love. That's a promise. So the reality is that that even as we're trying to discern what love looks like, sometimes we're going to end up in in different places, different understandings of what that means to follow Jesus and to love others. Because as it tells us in scripture, we only see in part right now. We're not going to have the full story until Jesus returns, whatever that looks like. And I love this this quote from Verna Dozier, who she's a lay or she was a lay theologian in the Episcopal Church. In her in her book, The Dream of God, she says, We always see through a glass darkly. And that is what faith is about. I will live by the best I can discern today. Tomorrow I may find out I was wrong. Since I do not live by being right, I am not destroyed by being wrong. The goal is not to believe the right things so that we can go to heaven. The goal is to love, and love requires discernment. Discernment can be scary and uncomfortable and hard because it's not going to lead us to certainty. But I think that God doesn't want us to land at certainty because certainty often leads us to self-righteousness, leads us to think that that we can do do it all on our own. Um, Instead, discernment is going to lead us to more grace for ourselves and and each other. Discernment is going to to force us to, to rely on God, to work things out both with God's spirit and with each other. As, as we finish up today, I wanted to share a little bit about um, this dialogue that I got to participate in last weekend. Um, as, as we had shared, you know, there were some, some people that, that went to the fishbowl dialogue um, last week on Wednesday um, with Oriented to Love, and then I was able to participate from, from Thursday to Saturday. Um, I participated in a private dialogue um, with Oriented to Love. 
And, and for those of you who, who maybe weren't around when we were talking about it, um, the, the point of these dialogues is to bring together a diverse group of Christians um, to have some conversations around sexuality, gender, and theology. And they are very intentional about bringing together a, a group that is diverse in a lot of different ways, different, um, different identities, different orientations, different theological convictions, different races, ages, in so many ways. Um, and the point of that um, was not to bring us together to get us to a place of agreement, but just to help us have the conversation, to learn to see one another, to see each other's humanity, to see the good in one another. And it was such a beautiful experience. I just felt like that whole weekend, it felt like such sacred space. Being here, being in this group, with people who were different than me, people who had had different experiences, people who had different theological convictions, and yet we were able to see one another. And throughout the whole weekend, there was this word that kept coming up to me, and it was this word embrace. And I felt, throughout the whole weekend, I felt embraced by those who were around me. And this, this experience, you know, as I, as I talked about in the beginning, in 2016, in my deconstruction process, starting and, and feeling like I was kind of losing a little bit of hope in the church and in, in this idea of unity, this experience this past weekend helped to restore that. It restored my hope in the church, what the church could be, what unity in Christ could look like. As we were able to, to share stories and experiences, we didn't end in agreement, but we ended with embracing the complexity of what it means to follow Jesus and love others. We ended with being able to say, I may not agree, but I see how you got there. I see that you've wrestled with God. You've done your best to discern what he's calling you to. I see your obedience to, the con to that conviction, and I call that good. I want to be with you in that. I want to support you in that. You know, before entering in, um, we, had, we had two months of preparation leading up to this weekend together which I think was so important, um, just being able to prepare our hearts for that time. But one of the things that, that we were also told to do was to choose someone. As, as we kind of provided, you know, we wrote our own bios and kind of shared some different things. We were supposed to choose, notice who's someone that kind of rubs you the wrong way when you read this little bit about them, you know, and you're making some assumptions in your mind, like, oh, I don't know, I'm going to get along with that person. Like, pay attention to that and pray for that person. Pray for that person as they're preparing for the dialogue and pray for your own heart to be open to how God might want you to love this person. And at the end of it, as we, you know, it was one thing to kind of see somebody's bio on paper and kind of get this two-dimensional idea of them, but to actually be in the same room and hear each other's stories and get to know one another gave this more three-dimensional picture of who this person is. So that by the end of the weekend, we, we were able to, to share a blessing over each person there you know, including that person who we had, had made our previous judgments about. We were able to embrace one another, and this was only impossible, or this was only possible as we experienced the embrace of God's love. You know, it can be so scary and hard um, to have these different theological conversations, to have conversations in areas of a disagreement, uh, to be in spaces with people 
um, that, that think differently than we do. Because I think that often our, our convictions are so wrapped up with our identity, our self-worth, and our belonging. But if we're willing to come to the table with the foundation of knowing that we are so deeply loved by God and seeking to love one another, we don't have to fear. We can find unity that is deeper than agreement, which is something that Kristen Komarnicki, the, the director of Oriented to Love, likes to say. And imagine if that was the image that the world saw of the church, where people who don't have much in common, who have no business being in the same room together, somehow form a beloved community that seeks the good of one another and the world around them because of the the love they've received from Jesus. Don't you think that's a compelling story?